0: Do you know what the biggest secret to making money in life is? Whether you're selling eye care services, wholesale side, on the medical side, or you're just selling a whole crate load of celery to a grocery store, it's saving money to make money. I know the the concept is wild. You don't have to keep selling more and more products to earn money. You just need to reevaluate your cost of doing business. And that's why we're going to be talking about how to negotiate your credit card merchant processing fees it's something most of us ignore we just accept that we have to pay a percentage of our sales to american express visa etc the next topic is payroll processing fees we all do payroll and you can save money by choosing the right vendors negotiating and the last part is bookkeeping i guarantee many of you do your own bookkeeping and instead of working at a doctor rate, you work at a bookkeeper's rate, which is not wise. And if you don't have a bookkeeper, you should hire one. It'll make your life much easier, stress-free. Go spend with time with your kids, pets, grandparents, and um, enjoy having a clean PL. So I know these topics are not the most exciting, but we're just gonna go through strategic ways to lower your cost of goods and get better payroll processing. And merchant processing with better technology, awesome online portals, and lots of tools to reevaluate your business. Hey, in addition to uh, this podcast, I have a blog that I want you to go to the show notes and read. The title is called How to Be a Profit Oriented Office Manager. Um, I think office managers should not be involved in a lot of the minutiae during the day of being a task rabbit. They should be thinking very high level of how to make the operations more efficient in the practice work lean less staff more revenue so go to the show notes read the blog i'm going to give you some great technology tools for payroll for for time clock for sending out bills
1: Welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast for wizards of eyes. I'm Dr. Raymond Brill with my co-host, Perry Brill, and we're here to bring you stories about wizards of eyes. Yes, what is a wizard, Dr. Brill? Well, these are folks that you may have heard about, may not have heard about. These are people who are actually very successful in doing what they do in all aspects of eye care. We're not talking to
0: self-proclaimed industry geniuses, experts, masters, or gurus because we're talking to wizards of eyes that make it happen each and every day.
1: They are out there working every day in the labs, on the road, in the practices, in surgery suites, making lenses, making frames. Yes, we want
0: to hear these back-of-the-house stories about innovation, entrepreneurship, and make you feel excited
1: to do what you do. We want you to be energized about the whole eye care field. And this is not your big optical program. This is done out of the passion of our hearts. Please go ahead and subscribe to itrepreneur, the
0: podcast for Wizards of Eyes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or your favorite app. Also, visit itrepreneur.com where you'll find our latest blogs and special video content. That's www.eyetrepreneur.com. So, uh, tonight we're going to be getting into the details about really stuff that people hate to discuss it's like taboo almost in business to try and save money we always try and like take shortcuts buy chinese products or you know get in on alibaba or something but tonight we're going to go be straight shooters we're just going to talk about services or we're all using but maybe not choosing the best partners
1: yeah and these are the things that a lot of times are hard to figure out they're intangible you know, and people, let's say for merchant services, they kind of lie to you a little bit. Not totally, but oh, I can get you under 2%. And then, yeah, and then you look, there's 42 other fees, you know, and a lot of times people don't know, you know, those rewards cards we all like to use. Guess what? When we take them, there's a higher fee on that. We're, we're paying the damn reward. So, um, right. So some of it's complicated, it's not straightforward. And they may be honest in quoting you, but it's, it's not straightforward and we're not knowledgeable enough. So it yeah. helps to have an expert. So
0: um, if if any of you caught Dr. Brill's post on our Facebook group uh, yesterday or today, this morning, uh, he pretty much just said one of his biggest regret, regrets was being too loyal.
1: It's interesting because we want everybody to be really loyal to us. So I always espouse that. I'm loyal to everybody. They should be loyal to me. But then I found out, guess what? They're not loyal to me. At least my vendors are not loyal. They're not loyal. So I'm loyal to Tim though. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, it's like the cable companies, you know, you're you're doing business with uh, AT&T and they got this great package, starter package. And then in three years, like, no, that was the promotional period. Now it's triple the price. So now you're going, uh, you know, to direct TV.
1: So, no, I just had to, I, I've been, um, we had Sprint, and Sprint is headquartered here in Kansas City, so I thought, I got to use Sprint. They were a hometown, but we, I live in a, believe it or not, in Kansas City, I live in a very hilly part, and just could not get service anywhere, and the pool in the neighborhood is down in a Little Valley, and, every, and all the Sprint employees had Verizon pagers, which I thought was very interesting, as, as did I. So eventually I had to give up rent because they had terrible coverage. Uh, so I went to Verizon and Verizon has excellent excellent coverage. The only thing, it's a little more expensive, which I didn't mind paying more for, for getting more. But now uh, as these phones all have gotten really expensive, I found you, I, I was told by the guy that sold me the previous uh, phones, he was now working for Best Buy. He said, hey, Dr. Brill, didn't you know, every two years, you gotta switch service. He says, so now you gotta go from Verizon to Sprint because they have the deals. They have buy one, get one free, and the prices are like half the price. I said, really? He said, yeah, And in two years, you'll probably go from Sprint to Verizon. So he told me the secret and I thought, I am so loyal. And as I, went to, so I went to Sprint, especially when I went to T-Mobile because now they got the coverage. So any case.
0: All right, let's jump right into it here. Um, so this is a small group of 17 people. And, um, you know, webinars in August, I guess just nobody's interested, but all of you are going to save at least a thousand bucks today, oh, 18 now. So, um, I guarantee it and we're not going to work any magic voodoo. We're just going to show you the facts. So this uh, webinar is brought to you by iRocket Optometry consulting. That's me, myself. And, um, I've already had a great su- successful launch post COVID. Um, you think people mm-hmm. don't want to spend money to help grow their practice but they're happy to hire me. I'm probably the only consultant uh, who's 28 years old, birthday next month, so September 19th, if you guys wanna send me some gifts, I'll, I'm happy to give you my address. G-I-F-S, gifts. Ah, funny, funny. Um, so this is my consulting business, and um, if you look at my tagline here is, everything you do in business should involve speed and urgency, and um, my implementation, is, is fast. And I'm going to implement a lot of ideas in your practices. So uh, if you're curious, I, I like everything technology related and sales related, and I like people well-trained. So um, reach out to me if you're curious about that. Um, I want to go ahead and introduce our, our guest here. This is Tim Emerson of Emerson and company. Tim is a, a
1: personal friend of my dad and I. We eat breakfast every Tuesday morning, three, three, yes. uh, three more, three Tuesdays out a month. Right.
0: It's the healthiest breakfast of the week. <laughs> yeah. I think it involves bacon. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Sausage,
1: bacon, eggs.
0: So um, the the way Dr. Brill and Tim are connected, they're in a, a breakfast club called the Kansas City Breakfast Club. Uh, what year was it founded? 1936. 1936. Um, it's basically a – well, Dr. Brill, why don't you explain it's about business reciprocity and – Yeah, it's oh, that's-
1: about – it's a bunch of – it's it's all men, I should say, because back in 1936 it was all men. Uh, some notables in there. Ewing Kaufman was in there, and uh, Kaufman Stadium and other famous things. So so these these folks in there are these are the guys that uh, are am not the wannabes, but these are guys that have already done things and they will know a lot of people. So if he, you know that six degrees of separation thing, they know a lot of people and they have a lot of influence and Uh, So it's good. It's been a really good group. I I probably have three quarters of the people come to me. So it's been a very good group. I was president of it about three, four years ago. Tim was president not too long ago, right? That's right. So we, so we've jumped that hurdle and there's no other hurdle left for us. We could just sit there and enjoy breakfast, but we, we do meaningful. uh, We do business reciprocity, which means we try to use each other's businesses and meaningful fellowship means we get along and we were just at, Tim's house a couple months ago, and it was just a nice little cookout outside, especially during COVID time, and uh, so we do different, different things like that.
0: Yeah, we smoked some stogies and had some whiskey. It was fun.
1: <laughs> oh, I was trying to not t- say <laughs> Let's that. Let's be
0: honest. We were smoking cigars, eating barbecue, and being, being Midwesterners. It was awesome. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I'm going to tell you the services that, the reason we use Tim, Tim is uh, what I like to call a consolidator. He's a one-stop shop for a lot of stuff we do in business. So instead of you bouncing around for bookkeeping, payroll, merchant processing, insurance for your business, you can get it all in one place and have centralized customer service. Same thing, the, the reason we, why we use Contact Lens Distributors, we have all these brands we just want to call one place to get them all.
1: I use an insurance company uh, in it, right in Mission, Kansas, which is a first-tier suburb of Kansas City. I use them for like, 25 or 30 years, and I was very loyal. I had a nice saleswoman. She left you know, in a few years, and then I knew the owner of it, and he'd come in every three, four years and tell me he's going to buy readers somewhere else. So I, I just kept using them because it's really hard to shop for it. But Tim was able to shop for it and got us a lot better rates from, a, from another company. And nowadays, you deal with everybody over the phone or computer anyway. So they didn't need to be down the street. So all the people I was dealing with, And I think my, my representative was actually named Celeste fake eye, fake eye. I thought, come on. So her last name is fake eye. Okay. So anyway, so I left fake eye and went to Tina right now. So, and, (laughs) and, uh, and you know, she's great. So we got better rates, we get better coverage and a a lesser price. Uh, So really no sacrifice there. No sacrifice.
0: Yeah. So, um, Tim, I'll let you take the floor. Um, we can skip all the formalities while you're, you're a pro. Uh, we'll just, we'll just, Oh, you should tell a
1: little bit bit about your background.
0: All right. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, so,
2: uh, I'm from the, I was born in Teaneck, New Jersey, moved to Kansas in 1973 and, uh, I'm a Jayhawker. And, uh, so my background is, uh, in business uh, economics. And, and, uh, I worked with a company called Dean Witter that became Morgan Stanley and for 10 years. And then I worked for a company called Wells Fargo for nine years after that and started my own business in 2006. And, uh, my job was traveling, uh, and visiting with, uh, successful business owners. And, uh, the only thing I might add on to, uh, What Dr. Brill mentioned was, I I do feel like our next step, he mentioned that he'd been president, we'd kind of done it all. I really feel like our next step or our next legacy will be how we can mentor, uh, you know, others. And that's really, to me, that's a big part of the Breakfast Club. Uh, So that's that's my background and I'm looking forward to chatting tonight, seeing how we can help. So we're going to try to make it as fun as possible. Uh, there's payroll merchant services we're going to touch briefly on insurance uh, and then bookkeeping as well Uh, my name is Tim Emerson I own Emerson and Company we're based in Kansas City uh, Missouri so some of the different industries that we work with uh, I'll just kind of let you kind of graze through those Uh, Perry's obviously and Dr. Brill focus on optometrists Uh, we work with a consulting group uh, several consulting groups and uh, they send all their merchant statements to us for discovery. And then with that discovery, we, we give them some solutions, and then they decide whether they want to engage with us or not. So in credit card processing, a couple of basic terms that I think is kind of important to uh, uh, to know would be the jargon, if you will. So some of the basic lingo uh, interchange, you're paying your yeah uh, you' get paid from your customers in the next day or two uh, from the processor, and then those customers don't pay for thirty days. So that time value of money, uh, the risk of whether that they're actually going to get paid or not, that's the interchange rate and published in the wall Street Journal and so everybody that's ever called on you about credit card processing, tall, short, young, and old, they're all coming to you with a commoditized uh, product and what I mean by that is a Mastercard, Visa card, all those rates are published rates, um, and so really the, the the issue is who's willing to work for the least amount. So a couple of things outside of interchange that are negotiable are when you swipe that card, that's uh, an authorization fee, basically telling you whether it's a good card or not. Those fees can be they're measured in cents per swipe, uh, and they can be negotiated. So. A common authorization fee might be anywhere from five cents to if you bought something on Shopify that merchants paying as much as 30 cents or or like a PayPal. Other terms that we're going to talk about would be like tiered pricing. So tiered pricing means that if you take all those cards that you have in your wallet, a debit card, a regular credit card, and a rewards card, they all are listed uh, and they're bulk by the processors kind of in three main care categories. So the first one or the best rate would be considered qualified rate. The second one would, uh, and that would be like uh, an example of that, would be somebody walks into your store and purchases a pair of lenses and, and frames, um, and it's a swipe transaction. A mid-qualified rate might be one where they've gone in through your website and purchased uh, some saline solution or something like that. And then a non-qualified rate would be one where maybe uh, they called in and wanted to pay for an invoice. So it's called in and it's it's considered a little bit more of a a riskier transaction. And so what happens is the sales rep comes in and says, hey, we're going to charge you 1.89% for all of your qualified transactions. You're like, wow, that's great. That's better than Square, better than PayPal, better than... You know, if I, I look at my statement, I'm paying 3%, let's say, fees. But what they, what, and they'll tell you or disclose that, you know, that the other transactions are defaulting, like mid-qualified and non-qualified or are just, uh, are changing to a different rate. And one thing, uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is, is that there's 100 basis points and 1%. So the way that these are measured is instead of like, you're paying a 1% fee or a 2% fee, That it's typically slivers of 1%, and there's 100 basis points in 1%. So a common quote might look like 10 cents a swipe and 30 basis points over interchange. But I'll get back here to you. So an average debit card is three quarters of 1%. So if you remember back in our tiered example, if I said, hey, we're gonna charge 1.89%, you're surcharging debit cards. And I would say, you know, depending on the industry, maybe as many as uh, a third to 40, 50% could be debit card transactions. So if you've agreed to surcharge your, a, a big chunk of the cards that you're receiving, that's not typically the most transparent and best way to receive those cards. So, average MasterCard or Visa is roughly 2.2%, and an average rewards card. So, again, if we could, we'd take that, that blue card every single time. So at Emerson and Company, um, that probably ninety percent of our transactions are done uh, on a cost plus uh, basis, and that is an interchange rate plus a fee. So, for instance, on that debit card that was 075 percent, if you're paying ten cents plus thirty basis points over interchange, uh, you're still right around one percent, nowhere near one point eight nine percent that uh, that they had promised you on that tier pricing that sounded attractive. Uh, the other thing is obviously, uh, as I mentioned, not paying that debit card markup, but it increases the visibility of cards you take. So if you were a real gamer, you would look at those statements and if for whatever reason, the business or industry that you had, and you saw a, a larger amount of cards that could give you some leverage and maybe you might be able to pick off a tiered program. But in most cases, it's, it's simpler. And easier for you to just manage it on a, a cost plus model. One thing I want to reiterate is how you process matters. Uh, and the beautiful thing about the optometry field is, is that most transactions are swipe uh, transactions. Um, if you have a practice uh, like Dr. Brill's, you know, that the experience is, is that they check out, then they may set up the next appointment. So a swipe transaction, the same uh credit card will in my example here where i'm showing could have four different rates so for instance a swipe transaction is where you're going to get the best rate for that debit card the same exact card a keyed in transaction could be as many as 10 or 15 basis points more and then if it was keyed in by the merchant like you called it in and they wrote it down on a piece of paper which isn't compliantly friendly and then Put it in or if they called it in over the phone that's the highest risk so think think of yourself as a business owner trying to protect the processor if you're looking out for the processor and don't have chargebacks, believe it or not your statements are tremendous leverage when we're going through this discovery of finding out who your next processor might be or how to go back to your current
1: processor and negotiate uh, the best rate hey Tim can I ask you? Sure. Because it used to be we had a pin pad and uh, on debit cards, we'd say, get them to fill out the, on the pin pad because it was 75 cents versus processing as a credit card. And then patients would say, oh, my bank wants you to process that as a credit card. And so now that pin pad thing's gone, huh?
2: Yeah. So the, we had the, the, I believe it was the Durban bill that, that kind of leveled the playing field there. What What was going on is if you did run it through a credit card, it was a higher rate. Uh, basically, this is assuring that people are going to get people, meaning the merchants are going to get uh, the the debit card rate. They're not going to get gigged those fees by the processors. So no the whole PIN. purpose of that that or a good chunk of that bill was designed to make sure that merchants were not getting taken advantage
1: of. By no PIN, pin needed anymore. No pin. That's right. That's right. Yeah,
2: it's a it's a. So again, this slide here is probably the, uh, probably the most important is, is that if you take the total fees and divide it by the total amount that you process, that's in essence your net effective rate. It doesn't matter what that, that salesperson mentioned that, hey, we're at 1.89%. What really matters is if you look at all the fees that you paid to process cards, divide it by the total amount you're processing, that's the net effective rate. And Again, having swipe transactions um, and having a large average ticket, I think our average ticket is around $200 for optometrists uh, when you take all the transactions and, and divide them up. Uh, so those, are, those metrics are real attractive in getting cheap rates. The other thing that uh, I want to point out is some processors are charging a PCI non-compliant fee. Uh, this is an annual survey that you're assuring that you're not storing any cardholder information. Dr. Brill uses a uh, a gateway that tokenizes or encrypts uh, any data that's stored from a, a customer. It's kind of a nice feeling if, if, uh, if your doctor knows you and you don't have to give them a card or anything like that, especially in this COVID environment, we don't wanna be passing cards back and forth and you'd like to have a trendier, more technology type practice. So it, it gives people a good feel that they're, you're taking care of their eyes. But basically, uh, well, What we do at Emerson & Company is proactively assist them in helping them get through the the PCI survey. So in a nutshell, what you need to do is two merchant statements. Tell us how you process. We create a profile uh, for your business. Vendors compete for your business. We send you the uh, proposal, and then it's up to you to engage with us. You can take that and go right back to your processor and say, hey, if you don't match uh, what Emerson & Company is offering us, then I'm going to move. Um, but what I find is, is that a lot of times people are looking for people that are proactively saying, you know, Hey, here's how we can keep you ahead of the game. Just like I mentioned with the PCI compliance. Tim, but That's about so, all I had
0: on the merchant services. Okay. Does anybody so, have any questions or comments? Tim, um, I know what you do is you, you work with like 20 different processors. Is that right? That's right. So, and then, and then you ha- have, them um, bid all against each other. So it's like a war.
2: Is that? Yep. So our business model is we're working with multiple vendors they're competing for our clients so we have extensive knowledge of what each individual industry looks like uh, and what's what's a strategic play or not but in essence what we're doing is instead of you negotiating against that salesperson's manager uh what we're doing is we're saying hey listen this is what I process they know they're in a competitive environment and the result is uh, a lot of transparency and best practices, and obviously an extremely aggressive rate here's an example i don't know if you can see this screen very well, but in the upper right hand corner, if you can see my mouse, um, this processor or this uh, merchant was doing about sixty eight uh, thousand their average ticket was around two hundred dollars total fees around twelve hundred and that was an effective rate of one point eight three six percent If you look down to the lower right-hand corner, this particular merchant, we ended up saving them $353 per month. And even though 1.836% is pretty good, 1.32% is better. So sometimes people, sometimes business owners, we kind of get in a rut and we're like, well, that's not bad. I'm under 2%. Well, over a three-year period, this is almost $13,000, $14,000 just in merchant service savings.
0: Tim, how do you predict that you're actually going to achieve that savings per month and kind of have some type of guarantee? Is there, is there a method to that madness?
2: Well, there is. And, and of course, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on, on our overhead. Uh, we're here in the Midwest. Uh, we've got a low cost of living here. Uh, real estate is cheaper than it would be on the both coasts. So our uh, cost of doing business is, is not near what a lot of our competitors are. We're a small family business. Um, and again, it really boils down to in this particular industry,
0: it really boils down to who's really willing to work for the least amount. Yeah. I know it gets real. I'm sure everybody who's on here. You you know how annoying it is when those credit card sales reps walk in every month until you like want to hit them with a baseball bat. That was the nice experience with working with you, Tim is it just came down to the numbers. Um, while it's nice to have a relationship with you, all I need is um, I just want a good rate, and I want you to pick up the phone and email me back. Yeah, the, the big thing is is
2: that uh, it's not just, uh, you know, put you together and marry you with the processor. We're still very much involved in auditing, uh, making sure that there aren't rates. Uh, we were working with uh, a business owner where their processor was acquired by another. So, WorldPay had acquired Vantip, and they had, a, a, they had disclosed on page six or whatever, that they were increasing fees, and yeah. the business owner never noticed it. And uh, so, instead of the business owner having to catch it, number one, and and do something about it, number two, or attempt to do something about it, we called and said, "Hey, listen, uh, we have about three hundred uh, merchants that are on that uh, platform, and I want to opt out for those those clients. And uh, furthermore, I want to make sure that that if we're going to stick with you, and 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 adhere to the contract or the agreement that we signed, want to make sure that you're not raising prices in the future. We called the merchant and let them know, hey, listen, this is what's been going on behind the scenes. And uh, just wanted to let you know that, that we ended up saving you a bunch of money. So it's not uncommon. The industry practice is that they do raise fees periodically from time to time. So it's not like that's a... Uh, a a bad business model. I'm not sure of a processor that doesn't do that, but when you have a large portfolio or when you're pooling with, you know, with your part of that, iRocket uh, group, you know, the nice thing about it is, is that you guys are, the business owners are working together as a team and uh, it, it provides you, you know, almost like a co-op or, or a group purchasing organization uh, where you're, you're uniting and, and trying to do the best you can uh, in the financial service yeah. world.
1: So I uh, initially, if you remember, I was a, um, is it paychecks? No, not paychecks. What was it? Um, uh, check verification. We, we wanted. Telecheck. Telecheck. Yeah, it was telecheck and they had a really nice eclipse machine and had a little raceway around there, put the check in. Cause we were getting two, three, four bad checks a week, but now, you know, people aren't writing checks really hardly as much. I mean, they're. I think it's mainly older, older people are writing checks. Everybody's using their debit or credit card. Yep. So that was something that was really important to us, but then it really didn't matter as much. And when patients would come in, they say, I got that telecheck machine there. They're like, um, we, go. <laughs> we, yeah. we got to go. We got a place to go because they knew right then and there, we were going we to find out if that check was good or not. Yeah. So, oh, and this
2: is a perfect opportunity for me to share with you that you can create a gateway uh, where if you have a good customer or when you're doing a, a client intake you might mention to them that uh, you do have an e-check program and and the benefits of that is that they can uh, that you can you don't have to charge as much to cover that cost of, of doing business so an, an ACH if you have recurring payments or if you have customers that you think are going to pay again that's measured in cents per transaction not a percentage of the transaction and uh, be happy to have you take that as a takeaway and if you want to Follow back up with us. We can show you also how to cut costs there.
0: Hey Tim, t- tell me about. Um, I know a lot of us have uh, terminals that we really f- fall in love with. We paid you know five hundred bucks for them. Can you change oh. to a different merchant processor and still use the same terminal?
2: Yeah, great question. So uh, the different terminals, uh, like a Verifone VX520 or an ICT220, Deja Vu. All of those are reprogrammable. So if you bought that terminal and own the terminal, 99% of the time you can reprogram it. If you're with a, uh, a processor that's that's not using best practices, they may try to hold you to that or, or maybe there's a they are leasing you the terminal. Just so you know, an average terminal for a retail presence is gonna be somewhere between 100 and $150. And unfortunately, I know many of you out there probably paid as much as $200. or I think I paid $1,100.
1: So. Yeah. I think I have a couple extras that I'm not using. Yeah,
2: but certainly they can be reprogrammable. They do periodically from time to time uh, go end of life. Um, but most generally, we're reprogramming terminals or the point of sale. We're creating what's called a bar sheet that we submit to the uh, the IT people, and then they just plug in the processor. So the front of the office isn't really changing. All you're doing is just implementing a better uh, relationship on your processing.
0: Right. Um, I'm gonna, i I want to move on to payroll next, but I'm going to share my screen just for a second. Um, sure. So this is what's called a virtual terminal uh, for everybody listening, and it's what I do at our practice, Relay Center. We have a like a little swiper thing, and it connects to the USB port in our computer. And that way, it's clean. We have nice reporting functions here. I'm not going to click into any of them because um, I've got some, you know, protected information in here. This is my services. You see this little recurring button. Um, One thing that we do in our practice. So for trusted patients, that let's say they buy fifteen hundred dollars in glasses and. They're kind of on the edge about buying that second pair of glasses, but they've been coming to Dr. Brill for 20 years. We know they're trusted and they're not going to screw us. I'll put them on a payment plan internally and I'll put in their either bank information, a credit card or debit card. I'll select six months, type in the amount I want to charge them uh, each month and it'll automatically run their card. So you can do in-house payment plans like that and you're able to manage them, which is really nice uh, instead of using, you know, things like Sunbit which um, I still recommend for your more high-risk people. All your reporting is here, refunds. So you're in control, it's your dashboard. So I just wanted to share that. If you're using a little more outdated system, you might enjoy the virtual terminal. But um, any questions about credit cards? I'll give everybody just a a minute.
1: There's a couple there about uh, chip versus swipe fees. And then I might say, you know, there's some that you just wave it over, right? Is there any difference in the rates on those?
2: No, so on the chip versus swipe fees, um, they're really uh, not dramatically different. Um, what is different is that a chip reader is you know part of of the uh, EMB compliant friendly uh, term, if you will. It's basically the it was a shift a couple of years ago where the processor said, if you're not going to utilize or process transactions, under an in an EMV format, then what we're doing is we're shifting that liability to you that if it's a fraudulent transaction, then it's your responsibility to chase it down. So that's what the processors were doing to lever that. So an example right now is somebody comes in and says, hey, do you guys accept chip cards? And if you say if you say no, then you're kind of opening yourself up to uh, some fraud. We had a, a recent example of where the sweet little lady said at a convenience store, yeah, we have a chip card, but unfortunately it's broken right now. Well, the gentleman uh, filled up his car and his buddy's car with fuel and got off with $150 with fuel. And he didn't even have to dispute the card. The, uh, the issuing card holder disputed it because it wasn't done in an EMV uh, friendly manner. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing I could tell you
0: between chip and swipe transactions. What I suggest everybody do is don't think you have the best rates. So uh, reach out to Tim here and at least you'll send them a couple of statements. Uh, how many statements do they need to send you? Two or three? Uh, we
2: need two complete consecutive uh, statements uh, with all the pages on them. And that way we can see all the, you know, hidden fees and all that. And we also can kind of see a mix of what your business looks like. So two complete consecutive merchant statements with all the pages. And how do you process? What kind of card reader do you have?
1: Now, the volume that they have, Tim, does that help determine the rate too? The volume that they have and the amount uh, of their average
2: transaction. So, you know, if you're selling chrome wheels for $5,000 a piece, uh, there's a risk on each chargeback. If if you're a restaurant or a coffee shop with an average ticket of seven or eight bucks, there's not a lot
0: of risk. They're not going to come in and try to Alright, so only half of you voted.
1: Um, vote, people. We um, want to vote by absentee ballot. They want to vote <laughs> <laughs> not vote by mail. <laughs> um, and we don't really know who, who voted what. So just just put something down there. All right, I'm going to share
0: the results. This is kind of funny. All right, so I guess we got some skeptics, Tim. People don't trust you.
1: That's good. Well, they no, shouldn't. They, they trust them. They they didn't say no. <laughs> They're either skeptical or yes. So, yeah. so and maybe then, it'd be uh, good if the skeptics ask more questions.
0: All right. So the people that don't want Tim to contact him, I'm curious. Like, what do you have to lose? Yeah. Like, seriously, if you send him two statements and he can save you four, three, four, three, four thousand just, dollars you just want a flight to Cancun. Well, maybe not Cancun. No, they,
1: I think maybe their merchant processor brings them donuts or something like that. Yeah. Like well, the I,
2: think the, I think what makes us completely different is if you take the average credit card sales rep, they are taking those statements and going back to their processor and they're trying to figure out how much do I need to save Dr. Brill to provoke him to move with us. So mm-hmm. there's a direct conflict that sales rep is trying to protect their residuals. Uh, whereas with Emerson and Company, we look at merchant services more of a, as a lost leader. So instead of saying, hey, this is where you're at right now, let's try to cut a little bit of cost and provoke you to moving over. What we do is we say, hey, here's the types of transactions that you're doing. And this is the cost of the interchange. And this is what, it, this is what we need to make a profit for our business. So sometimes there's a lot of meat in between there. Uh, and again, we're looking at it as our, as our lost leader and as an opportunity to maybe get a second bite at the apple for bookkeeping or payment.
0: We're going to take a quick break for ads. I love advertisements. I'm kidding. Anyways, we're going to be talking about online optical here. How do you sell glasses online in your practice? So we needed to find two terms. One is you've heard the word capture rate, and that's your capture rate in office. But now we have the out of office capture rate. So now we have two metrics that we have to measure. So if you're not selling glasses online in the next one to five years, all of your competitors are going to adopt some form of online e-commerce, either virtual try-on or shipping patients frames, kind of like Warby Parker does. So we are recommending the best one. It's called Optify, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes you right now. Pause the podcast. You need to stop it. Go schedule a one-on-one demo with Wes Goddard. He's the co-founder of Optify. And they have created a system that integrates with EHRs. It works with vision plans. You patients will go to that link. They can browse your whole inventory. It's your own inventory that you own. And it's simple. They help you get all the frames online, establish the pricing. They'll give you demos, train your staff. And all of a sudden, you're going to go from zero revenue online to maybe five or 10% revenue online within the first year. So please do yourself a favor, get online, start making progress, expand your business outside the four walls, uh, especially during COVID here. You know, we're, we're not really having as many patients come in. Use email marketing, use tech message marketing, go to the calendar of Wes Goddard in the show notes, book a one-on-one demo. You'll appreciate it. I told you about this early.
2: As Perry mentioned, uh, two merchant statements, So two merchant statements, and uh, we can provide discovery. Nobody's going to give you a call. We're just going to let you know what it's at. It's your job to engage with us and let us know, hey, I'm ready to look at next steps. So on on payroll, the benefits of working with uh, Emerson and Company, we are one point of contact for all your issues. So we do human resources, HR, help you with your employee handbook. Uh, we're familiar with all the major platforms out there, ADP, Paycheck, SurePayroll, Paylocity. There's seven different payroll platforms that we use the majority of the time. Uh, we have command of all ACA issues. So if you had more than 50 employees or 50 full-time equivalents, we're going to be able to help you with all that reporting. Um, we have platforms that help you post jobs, and we also have the ability to help you uh, seek out those work opportunity tax credits. Uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later but here's just a couple of the uh, venues that we or the uh, vendors that we work with and support so employee handbook as i mentioned employee personnel file and then i9s you want to make sure that uh, everybody that you're working for you is eligible to work for you Uh, we can do background checks if you guys are harboring um, hipaa information it's probably a good idea to be doing at least a basic background check for your employees We help with all different types. Uh, Does that cost the customer
1: uh, extra or?
2: Yep. Yeah. So the payroll, the, uh, or on payroll, um, things like time and attendance and, and uh, background checks are a la carte because everybody has a, a different need. Some of the employees are salaried, some of them have more complicated commission structures, things like that. But we offer again, basic platforms all the way up to a very robust human capital management uh, system.
1: Somebody says they've got a new employee or a prospective employee, you know, we have other guys in our breakfast club that do some of that, but you say, you know, I want a background check. What do you actually do? Do you put it through a program or do you hand it off? Yeah, so
0: uh, when
2: you do a background check, uh, initially what's done is that there's an offer made uh, to the employee You have an offer letter with salary and, and, and their PTO um, and then it's the offer is made uh, pending uh, a background check, and that's a link, and then they're completing that typically at home. And again, it could be very involved or it could be very basic. And those fees, some background checks I think are as little as 10 or $12. And we've done background checks for law enforcement, things like that, that are, you know,
1: almost $140. So it really just kind of depends. Yeah. And I'd, I'd emphasize for people to to do that because. I can't tell you how many times we've had people when we did our own background check. Uh, you know, they turn out not to be the same person, yep. And the worst was a guy that actually changed his name. He changed yep. his name, and then we found out he had spent four years in prison. was. Yeah. how much was it? How many million?:: It
0: was like 1.7 million. He was a great optician. Yeah, he's a really good optician for uh,
1: Until he started stealing from us. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I had a philosophy. You know, if you spent time in jail, if you if you paid your dues, you know, that cleans your slate and we should trust him. But, you know, I've done that too many times. So uh, we had another person who was a soccer mom. And I really mean they owned a soccer business. Yes. And I said, Perry, did you check her background? And she said, no, she's a soccer mom. So I thought, no, nah, you should have checked her background. And then she didn't show up anymore. And then we were wondering what happened until her parole officer called. And I thought. <laughs> Oh my God! She was three years in jail, and she was—you would never expect her. So, she did, she did fraud. Yeah, he did fraud.
2: Well, Let's, I would—I would say this. Currently, what's going on right now is you have a lot of people that are un—that are unemployed, and they're really kind of just checking the box, applying for a job. Um, if you post a job on Indeed or Juju or LinkedIn or any of these, it's really important to have uh, one or two knockout questions. And what I mean by that is, is that. If you want them to provide a a writing sample for you, like, hey, look at our website, look at Brill Eye Center, or look at iRocket, and uh, tell us how you think you can make that improvement in 350 words or less. Well, you'll be surprised how very few people will take the effort to do that. So there's ways to take 40, 50, 60 candidates and narrow it down to 10 or 12 candidates real quickly. Um, So that's probably the best advice that I could give. Is that legal? Is that legal to do that? Oh, yeah, of course. In fact, you can even give them an aptitude test. I mean, in payroll, when we hire somebody, uh, we ask them to calculate uh, what the annual salary would be for, uh, you know, an auto repair worker that makes $15 an hour. So, and, and
1: how many hours would they working? So,
2: absolutely, you can give an aptitude yeah. test. Yeah, but we it, used to
1: it, use the uh, Wonderlick test that's been around since 1953. Yeah. And, and right. I, I had an HR person, well, I think it was Kirk, Kirk Young. In our club said nope that's not correct anymore i said it's been around since 1953 they they uh will back you up on it. he says no it's been determined that it's not someone's fault that they had a bad education and they can't answer those basic aptitude questions which i was using as somewhat of a proxy for uh, for iq so I yeah. thought,
2: well it, so there I are understand. there are some guidelines that you need to uh, practice dr brill and certainly on a case-by-case basis we have professionals that are SHRM certified that, that yep. we make sure that they uh, run that past them before they present the question. Let's okay. continue with, with payroll here. So, Yeah, so payroll payroll super easy. If, in most optometrists, uh, they may have anywhere from, you know, four to five to as many as 10, 15 people per location. So just to kind of do a back of the envelope, we need to know, hey, how many employees do you have? And how frequently do you pay? And how do you submit your payroll? So, for instance, do you have a biometric clock so they plug in with a, a thumbprint, or do you have a uh, like a four-digit kiosk that they're typing in their code to punch in and punch out? So, again, if we know how many employees and how frequently they pay, and how they submit their payroll, then we could give you an, a rough idea of like, oh, you're going to be paying twenty-three dollars per payroll. One of the benefits with working with Emerson, all, all the platforms that we work with, we don't charge year-end W-2 expenses, uh, we never have. Uh, and we don't have a practice of raising payroll costs every year, just because that's kind of what the industry does. We have clients that we've worked with that we've charged the same payroll amount. Now, if you have more employees or you're growing or you're acquiring multiple locations, uh, then of course it's gonna go up. But the per employee per month uh, cost I really think that's a mistake to just raise that every year just because you can. So one other thing I wanna mention is, is that uh, some of our platforms that we use is if you hired like a, a person for a job and they were on food stamps or they were a veteran, uh, did some military service, or they lived in a low-income area, or possibly as Dr. Pill mentioned the next one, and then, uh, or, you know, if they've been long-term unemployed, there there's a program called a work opportunity tax credit and there's a way to post those jobs, ask those questions in a compliantly friendly manner. that could get you up to a $9,600 tax credit, which is a, a huge, huge plus.
0: So I will say we were using, um, paychecks full service since I came into the practice in 2012 and we would, we call the payroll person and they process it over the phone, you know, uh, you know, Judy, 10 hours, 40 hours. You know, Bill, thirty-seven hours. It it was bad. So we use Sure Payroll. It I think it's the easiest small business payroll system. It takes I don't know thirty minutes to set up. Uh, well, Tim does it all. We just have to look, process it, and then you type everybody's hours in. It'll keep track of uh, PTO, vacation. You can put bonuses in there. Uh, you print your own W twos. Every employee, we give all our employees access to their own online portal. And they can view their pay stubs online at any time. We actually block sure payroll at our practice, though, so they can't be printing off their pay stubs at work. So uh, <laughs> that's a tip for everybody. Don't let people print off their pay stubs, block that, that domain name. They, they all talk about their wages anyways to each other, so yeah. it doesn't matter.
2: So um, payroll's yeah. changed dramatically, really, in the last five, six years. I, I, we've seen costs come down. We've had a company with 110 employees that was paying a year to process payroll and handle HR but now they're spending less than $15,000 a year. So the pricing's gotten extremely aggressive. The technology, if you haven't revisited that conversation about how you process payroll and how you handle your HR employee handbook, things like that, uh, it's definitely worth a conversation.
0: Yeah, it's simple. Like, let's say someone gets a new bank account, you log into your website, just put their new bank in, it takes you 30 seconds one quick tidbit you also can link your payroll uh, provider up to quickbooks or some other system you're using for accounting that way you all, it auto-filtrates in there and cuz that needs to be on your PL payroll so uh, any, any other questions on payroll payroll people attendees any questions we got question uh, how are you different from quickbooks/gusto etc other payroll companies so anith I'll let you answer that one.
2: Yeah, so actually we got involved in the payroll business through uh, ADP, reached out to us and and, and invited us to start offering their wholesale sales channel. And the major difference between us and other payroll providers is, is that we're actually facilitating or helping service the platform. So let's say you had a garnished wage or child support order. You'd simply just mail that in to payroll at Emerson email, I should say to payroll at emerson-co.com. Another way that, uh, again, is pricing. I mean, we're going to be typically uh, 20, 30, maybe even 40% less, depending on the platform that they're currently using. Uh, if you're with ADP right now, you could move from retail to the wholesale sales channel and not have to learn a new bag of tricks and probably save 20, 30%. Uh, that's not certainly our intent is to cannibalize ADP's business, but to give you an idea we're the largest provider of payroll for ADP in the state of Missouri on the run platform that gives us a lot of leverage I mean they're they're really happy with us but also we as Perry mentioned we work with share payroll we work with pay entry and that competitive nature you know we have conversations saying hey how can we how can we get a bigger part of your portfolio so we've actually had our cost to Increase over the last 14 years that we've been doing business, whereas most businesses see their payroll rates going up.
0: Here's what I found out about payroll when I was shopping the market you know, five, six years ago. For small business, our payroll is very simple and we don't need these overpriced, overcomplicated platforms. So that's just kind of what I found out. We're pretty simple. We have full-time employees and part-time. You might get some bonuses or glasses sales, but yeah
2: unfortunately a lot of times we 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 bought a payroll solution or a credit card solution because a sales rep came by and sold us it uh we've had we've had customers that had payroll platforms that are terrific payroll platforms uh but it had a lot of bells and whistles that that the company was never using so it's not that the, it was one was good and the other was bad it's just that it wasn't geared for the practice
0: yeah another thing i'd mention here is make sure with these payroll providers, you can get time clock integrations. Some of them include it. Uh, we use a mobile-based time clock for our practice. So, so nope, people cannot – everyone clocks in on their mobile device, uh, so they never can complain, well, the time clock wasn't working. I'm like, no, you yeah. had your yeah. cell phone at work. The time clock's working. And we also set up a GPS. Geofence. You know, they only can clock in if they're within 150 feet of our building. It's geofence, yeah. Geofence. So, um. They still clock in wrong or don't clock in. I know, I'm fixing it all day long. So, all right, Tim, uh, let's get through insurance and then we'll move into bookkeeping last year. Sounds good. So on the bookkeeping side,
2: one of the things that I want to touch on uh, is that every one of you have the capacity to do your own books. There's not a doubt in my mind. The question is, where's the best value for your practice? And most people that have started their own business are passionate about leading people and leading their customer base into a, a vision that is appealing i guess that's a good pun vision appealing. but i want i want you to know that i'm not suggesting that it's something that you can't do what i'm saying is is that by the time you hire an employee to do some books uh and pay for the benefits pay for their taxes uh, typically, you can outsource that at a fraction of the cost, and then you've got somebody that's a disinterested third party that's overlooking your practice and avoiding, uh, you know, somebody embezzling money from you or something like that. So, there's a lot of reasons to outsource. We, we have relationships where we might only work two hours per month for a practice, uh, and then we have practices where we work as many as two, out, two days per week. So there's a, there's a big spectrum of what we're doing. Um, and we usually offer a free consultation for about 30, 45 minutes, figure out what the pain points are, and then put together an engagement matter. And you, you let us know what, what you'd like us to do. And, of course, that scope of work can change. Uh, it may be that you're just trying to get through a tough period or a transition or maybe get caught up with your books or get your general ledger set up or chart of accounts the way that you want it. And then we also have um, many practices that say, hey, why am I maintaining my own uh, QuickBooks? Why, why not have a bookkeeper do it? And then when I need a, a financial statement, an income statement or a P&L, send that out and I can provide it to my banker. So there's a lot of people that for whatever reason, they get this notion that they need to have QuickBooks and they need to have somebody maintaining that. There's a lot of practices where we actually uh, harbor all their books and, and, uh, you know, uh, send out the reports that their bank may need or whoever may need. And that's a great way to cut costs also.
0: Yeah. I would say the reason we outsource bookkeeping, we, we we go through Tim, we hire someone who works like, I think five hours a month, maybe a little more, depends on the month, depends on our volume that month. So during, you know, during COVID, obviously our our rate goes down because, um, Lacrita is the gal's name she's not working as hard during that time. So here, here's what happens with most business owners. You're, instead of seeing patients, you are doing bookkeeping, you're, you're paying your bills, you're reconciling your bank, or you're not doing any of that. Your chartered accounts is out of hand. Your P L is not a real P and L and you can't manage your business because none of the numbers make sense.
1: Um, In the meantime, you'd be, you'd be smarter. Just seeing, see like if you're spending an hour a day or a lot of people you know after hours work until eight or nine o'clock so we find that out in consulting yeah. and uh they should be home and they should be working for doctor's wages really not for uh, a tech or uh, you know a, a somebody else's wages and they're gonna be a lot happier so yeah. i know we all want to know no one don't want anybody to know about our practice and all that and you gotta everybody's you gotta manage your numbers and all that but really all of that could be done by somebody that knows what they're doing because most of us don't know bookkeeping. Yeah, yeah. I got an MBA, people, but I hated bookkeeping and accounting.
2: Yeah, I, I would just interject and say that people want to do business with people they know and like. That's why networking is so successful. If you're going to do an hour worth of bookkeeping, I'd much rather see you attend a, a Rotary Club meeting or a Chamber of Commerce meeting uh, and get out there and meet people. I mean, in those kind of circumstances, you're you might see 20, 30, 50 people at an event, and believe it or not, the country is opening back up. I just went to a Leewood Chamber of Commerce meeting last week, social distancing, nice presentation, everybody had masks on, and uh, I think that, to me, uh, very important to get out there and be the face of your business and let them know that, that you care and that you're trying to grow the practice. Yeah.
0: Here's what I do for bookkeeping. I pay all the bills. Or I have a staff member pay the bill sometimes. Depends how I'm, I'm feeling. Um, and then the bookkeeper will go in. Once you categorize, uh, let's say you use ABB for contact lens distribution. Once you categorize each business into your categories you and it's set up correctly, you will never have to do it again. QuickBooks is so smart to auto-categorize everything. And then another thing you, you might not know that you should be doing is Every month you should be exporting your production reports from your EHR into QuickBooks. That way you can see, you know, your, your revenue trends. So, and every payroll, every payroll
2: report can be synced up or, or uh, input, input into your uh, QuickBooks. There's, there's a general ledger team that's out there that once they have your chart of accounts, you can integrate that and avoid having to do any double entry with payroll. I,
0: I will say um, sometimes we make weird purchases. Let's say I go to a trade show, uh, Vision Expo, and I make a purchase, and my bookkeeper is not going to recognize what a an OCT is. Like they're not going to know what that is. What I do is I I literally text my bookkeeper, and say, "Hey, Lacreta, I uh, just bought eighty thousand dollar instrument. Put it in this category." And it's really that simple. Um, our relationship, and you don't need a, a huge accounting firm to you know to do that. You just need a a qualified person who? Do they have a skill set? Do they have some type of certification, or how do they know how to bookkeep?
2: So there's, there's, we have uh, twelve different uh, bookkeepers, and some of them are uh, very very basic bookkeeping skills, um, and others have uh, very comprehensive set of skills like medical coding and things like that, inventory. Uh, so uh, it really depends. That's the reason why we have. Uh, a group of bookkeepers with different levels of experience. So it's very important, I think, to ask that. Uh, you know, just because somebody's QuickBooks certified, you know, means that they've passed a test for QuickBooks certification. I, I think, to me, real experience is
1: is we put a, a heavy weight on that. You know, I would I would add that we are all paying for bookkeeping services, but you don't know it. Your your CPA. Uh, yeah, you think you're using your CPA, but they're outsourcing all that stuff to lower-level people, and and you are being billed that hourly amount. And a lot of times, it's it's a high amount. You know, maybe 125, 150 dollars an hour. Now you're not getting billed for the CPA time, but you are. Somebody's doing the bookkeeping, and you didn't know it. So sometimes it's easier to have somebody else do it at a much lower wage, and they can communicate with your CPA and and save you save you money.
2: Yeah, our bookkeepers. So, you know, you hire the bookkeeper to to uh, keep your books. But really, to me, the conversation with the bookkeeper is, is these are the important metric, metrics of my practice. And if these numbers, the ones that I've told you are important, then obviously I would like to have a red flag or an executive review saying, hey, listen, what is what do you think is causing this? What do we need to do to remedy it? I mean, to me, that's the whole purpose of a bookkeeper, not just keeping your books straight you want somebody to be able to tip you off because in case you're distracted by some other thing in the business uh, you want that bookkeeper to reach out to you and say, Hey, listen, this is a, a number you told me was important and uh, I just wanted to make sure you brought it to your attention.
0: Right. Um, Scott Chamberlain wants to know, are your services available in all 50 States? Yes. Okay. And then uh, Richard Rubek, I pay a flat fee of $525 a month for all bookkeeping. Taxes, bill pay, payroll services, including filing business in my personal taxes. Thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, so uh, it really kind of depends on the scope of work. We would do a quick discovery call to determine how long that would be. But uh, that sounds about right. Uh, You know, again, uh, with us, we have $25 to uh, an hour to as much as $85 an hour typically. We've had a couple of projects that were more than that where we're doing forensic accounting uh, for uh, a firm that had to take their bookkeeper to court. So, again, it really just depends on the scope
0: of work. Okay, cool. Um, any bookkeeping questions, people? I mean, I can't imagine all of you have bookkeepers. You probably have questions.
1: Tim, you mentioned that you have a, um, a manual, like an employee manual. Is that just a templated thing or, you know, cause every, it'll have to be different for each state, right? And yeah. So as um, you know, our own procedures, that's not necessarily a procedure manual. It's just, is it more HR type stuff? No. So an employee manual is very uh, valuable and I highly
2: recommend that, that uh, you go through a part of your employee handbook and have employees attest that they are familiar with the policy and, so typically what you're doing is you're knocking out your federal and state regulations. And then the practice may be, you know, if there's equipment that they might be using or your reimbursement policy or program or your PTO time or how you compensate people. Those are very important things to go over with your employees. And to me, where the industry is broken on, on that is you have a, a lot of services where it's kind of a subscription. You pay. 60 bucks or $100 a month have access to a, a SHRM certified expert. But let's face it, the toothpaste is already out of the tube and, and you're kind of now figuring out how to react. Whereas with our HR experts, we typically find out uh, how what the appetite is or how much time they're willing to commit towards getting a strategy. And we're kind of papering the file saying, hey, this quarter in our employee meeting, we went over. What to do if there's a violation, you know, do you, do you call your attorney? Do you call the police uh, or do you reach out to your manager? You reach out to your manager and say, hey, I feel like uh, the behavior here was, a little, you know, was inappropriate. And so it's important that and that way, when you're in court uh, or the, the attorneys are posturing to determine whether it's going to go to court or not, everything that you've done to avoid being there is your strength. So you've papered the file, you've had employees attest to it, and that's what the judge wants to hear. This is everything I did to avoid uh, being here, Your Honor. Okay. So Uh, I have a little summary page here. Uh, Basically, it kind of addressed, we have national reach. uh, Today was on the phone with the client in New York. uh, On taxes, we do bookkeeping, accounting. We have tax reduction programs. If you're buying a lot of equipment, I highly recommend. Uh, We had a, a dental implant. A practitioner that was buying lots of equipment and uh, we were able to lower their tax rate from 33% to 19%. So there's, there's lots of different things that we, today we just kind of focused on a few things, didn't really do a deep dive on anything, but I'd happy to do that uh, in the future. Here's a couple of practices that, uh, dental practices that we were working with. And if you have any questions, I'll just leave you this with this takeaway, uh, our email address and the office phone number. Um, and again, everything we're gonna be doing is providing you with discovery and it's up to you to kind of engage or take that final step. I don't have a sales rep. I own the company. I don't have a sales rep that's gonna go out and try to close that sale, so to speak. We're gonna provide you with with the information and then it's up to you to really engage with us and see if you wanna take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, um, and just, I just wanna emphasize, this is all about cost savings. Um, That's one of the things I do in iRocket. The first thing I do when I go to any practice, um, I'm at one right now, I'm actually in Collierville, Tennessee, uh, kind of a a rich suburb outside of Memphis, is the first thing I do when I go to any practice is I lower the cost of goods. I'm gonna change where you buy lenses, change where you buy toilet paper. That was a COVID joke. Uh, Get you on better credit card merchant processing, all that stuff. So the easiest thing to do is save money. Um, Do you do employee health insurance, Christy Larson? Yes, we do. Uh, It starts with an employee
2: census. And the one big thing that uh, a lot of people kind of hesitate having their employees fill out a a questionnaire. So the census is just kind of like, hey, who's eligible for the plan, not whether they're participating or not. Um, But if you're willing to fill out 13 or 14 uh, questions, then all of a sudden what you're doing is you're letting that carrier know, hey, we don't have anything to hide. And of course, your worst case scenario is you can fall back on the Affordable Care Act plan. But I highly encourage you to reach out to us and talk to us about, you know, hey, what can we do uh, again to lower our health care costs? There's level funding plans. The main thing that we're seeing a shift in right now is year after year, people are, are, are scrambling to get that renewal, and, and, and your broker's gonna call you or your agent's gonna call you and say, hey, we only had a 15% increase. This is a good year. Well, I I don't buy that. <laughs> so we have level funded plans where the strategy is is that we're looking for improving that three to five year. And I have professionals that can show you how to lower that, you know, lower that curve. But again, a great way to do do that is by understanding uh your workforce and also understanding there's things to way to reduce claims. I mean we have Uh, programs where you can shop. You know, if you know you're going to have a a hysterectomy or if you're going to have a shoulder replaced or something like that, there's lots of programs out there where you can shop right in your own market and find out where might be the best place to do that. But yeah, there's a lot of ways to cut costs on health insurance. And typically a small practice, you know, they might only have uh, two or three eligible employees as long as it's not a husband and wife. We can do two or more uh, at a group rate, have them fill out a questionnaire and, and uh, see what the result is.
0: Cool. So it looks like we had a, uh, about half of you said get in contact this week, half of you said next week. So um, Tim will make sure to, to reach out to you. But um, you know, even if you haven't bought into any of this, it's, just, it's worth a try to see if you could save a few thousand bucks. And it's not the few thousand you saved this year. It's the few thousand you save over five years um, where it really adds up.
2: Yeah, so scanning over a couple of merchant statements is super easy and tell us how you process. And it may be that now's a busy time, but think about how, how it doesn't take two seconds to go into a folder and email us those statements over, and then we will provide you with the information. And then I've had people engage with us six months, almost a year later and say, hey, is that still a good deal? Uh, I was going through a a tough time with my practice. And right now, of course, everybody with COVID has a pretty good excuse. But uh, what a great time to go in and see
1: where you can cut some costs. Yeah. But, Jim, do you you, um, visit that again annually or six months to say, you know what, we have you with this vendor. But now I I think it's time to change.
2: Yeah, I think I would highly recommend that you review uh, it once a year to ought. And, and what you're doing is you're not really shopping. What you're doing is really making sure that you haven't gotten a price increase. So if they said, hey, we're going to process you at five cents per transaction and 30 basis over interchange, you want to audit that statement and make sure that, hey, they didn't raise you know the pricing. So that's probably the most important thing that, that we do is making sure that they're, they're keeping their promises.
1: Isn't it every April, the interchange, our visa meets and kind of raises their rates or so? Yeah.
2: Uh, Well, it's, it could raise or lower. It's kind of like the prime rate. So it's, yes, you're right. April, October is typically when those interchange rates uh, adjust.
0: Anyways, I want to thank everyone. Uh, All right. Final words, Tim. Go out there and get them. Don't be afraid to uh,
2: pursue your dreams here in this uh, COVID-19 environment. Uh, I'm surprised how many people are you know, on the heels of their feet. I think this is a great time to be on the balls of your feet, get out there and grow your business.
1: All right, Tim. See you tomorrow morning for breakfast.
2: I look forward to it. Thank you, Dr. Brill. Thank you, Perry.
0: uh, Anith and Houston says, go get a dog. (laughs) We'll tell your wife that. I'll have to have
2: a special man cave built in the house, I guess. There you go.
1: You and the dog can live in uh, in your garage there. (laughs) i may want to with a new baby right yeah (laughs) plus your other daughter so that's right all right right. take care see See everybody later Bye. bye thanks guys
0: this brings us to the end of another episode of Itrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Go ahead and click over to our website, itrepreneur.com, or head over to Facebook to join our special Facebook group, Itrepreneur. See you there.